Hello there, you're listening to The Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to talk about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. We'll also be doing another round of Dylan's flick picks, so prepare for a journey through French cinema. Because Dylan, what did you select for us this time? I picked The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, The Red Balloon, and Jacques Tati's Playtime. off with some news we got quite a bit of things to talk about first of all a huge shakeup with scream 7 their two lead cast members of this new generation that they brought in from the uh requels that they've been doing melissa barrera is gone jenna ortega is gone melissa barrera was fired over her comments on the israel-palestine conflict so it was spyglass that's the actual like, produ- production company um, they got rid of her. And then Jenna Ortega, the very next day, announces that she is also not returning to the project. That, they say, is due to scheduling concerns, um, which partially there's some truth to that because obviously with her smash hit on Netflix Wednesday, there was like months and months ago before the strike, there was talks about would she be able to return. Um, if you remember with Scream 6, mm-hmm. Nev Campbell didn't return because of uh, issues with how much she was going to get paid. And so Jenna Ortega, of course, could have renegotiated her contract and get paid a whole bunch more. And it seems like they wouldn't want to go for that. So and there was talks that she might not return or only do so in a small role. But now she's fully gone. It seems like what happened to her co-star is what sealed the deal for that. So crazy stuff there. And that's sort of indicative of a larger divide that's been happening in Hollywood ever since the latest... Uh, phase of the Israel-Palestine conflict has, uh, you know, inflamed. So Maha Dakil, who is an agent at CAA and was in a leadership capacity, she had to step down in her leadership capacity due to comments uh, and repostings that she shared on her social media. Tom Cruise is one of the clients, like that is, she is his agent. And so he visited the CAA, the office building, um, in order to ensure that she was going to stay on as an agent. He was making it known that he was going to stand by her. And then a separate case, Susan Sarandon was dropped by UTA, so her agency, for comments uh, that she gave as well. And the commonality between all of them was they were in support in one way or another of Palestine. And then some interpretations were that their comments were anti-Semitic or against Israel. And so they were let go for one way or another. So crazy stuff happening with um, the ramifications and consequences of people speaking up on this conflict. So Scream 7 especially, I don't know how they're going to be able to, because you can't just like, oh, they're not in this movie because I don't think she's ever going to come back. So you have your two main characters now that are just gone. They're definitely going to try and go back to Nev Campbell now and give her a boat of the money. But will she return? Um, Because the backlash, I feel like, would be immense if she were to come back on after this happened. So, yeah, the future of the Scream franchise up in the air. And then for all these other individuals, there's definitely 
going to be a, a major risk of commenting on the conflict since we're seeing these uh, immediate sort of disciplinary actions. So wild stuff. Wild stuff indeed. In other news at Lucasfilm, Dave Filoni has been promoted to chief creative officer. Interesting. He sure has. So he'll now be working more closely with Kathleen Kennedy in developing all the projects. And he was sort of already the uh, like pseudo Kevin Feige for Lucasfilm since, you know, he's been doing the uh, Ahsoka project. He was part of Rebels, obviously Clone Wars way before that. So he sort of carried on the mantle uh, of you know, the big overarching creative vision that George Lucas had. And so he's going to be continuing that. We know there's supposed to be a season for Amando and then this Ahsoka show and all of that would tie into an heir to the Empire movie with Thrawn and bring together all these sort of Disney Plus characters that they've got going now. So I'm sure this will, his promotion will help solidify that. Um, however, it is worth noting Ahsoka hasn't been renewed yet for a second mm. season so is this them being like oh here's something that we want to reward you with but you're not getting a second season of that show or are they fully going in on him and then he's going to be able to make season two of that show and then spin-offs for ezra and sabine and everyone under the sun who knows we'll have to wait and see and in other news karate kid another franchise that has been brought back to life from streaming with the Cobra Kai show. It is coming out with a new movie sometime soon, and they have put out a casting call for their next Karate Kid. It was a video with Ralph Macchio and Jackie Chan, both mentioning that they will be together for the first time ever in a Karate Kid film. So emerging, I guess, of the little universes there. Uh, and there is no involvement from the Cobra Kai creators, at least at this point in time. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with that, because of course next year Cobra Kai is supposed to have its sixth and final season. So whatever they leave off with, I guess Daniel LaRusso is going to go on and find the next Karate Kid. It makes me sad though that they're not going to have William Zabka in the right? mix as well. I mean, Cobra Kai does such a great job centering on Johnny. That's what making I'm saying. Him, like the big... Um, character and they did a good job of like balancing it out with daniel and johnny and all these other characters they've been bringing back but it feels weird after doing that to now it's just like just you know, Rob just daniel yeah being the only one so maybe they will bring him back you never know i'm hoping so that's all do at least a cameo or something for him but yeah yeah and in the last bit of news superman legacy has finally got its lex luther originally going for superman nicholas holt got cast in the villain role. I didn't think they were going to go the Lex Luthor route in Superman Legacy, but, you know, maybe he's not the main villain. I don't know. I just feel like they always do Lex Luthor all the time. I mean, he's the main bad guy, sure, but you think you'd want to try something new. Yeah, well, I mean, they tried Man of Steel. They didn't necessarily have Lex in it. I do that's think, fair. though, if they're trying to get back to the roots of Superman, like that's what James Gunn has been saying. They want to bring him back to that more optimistic classic sort of boy scout role you gotta have i feel like lex luther his arch nemesis in the mix as well again he doesn't need to be the main villain he can be behind the scenes already sort of like developing his hatred for superman and planting the seeds for his downfall mm -hmm. but i think he should be in it in some capacity 
So I like that they have him. And then Nicholas Holt, I think, is a great choice. I think um, he would be, yeah. Yeah. It was back during, I think, a solo episode where it was down to like three people. And it was mm-hmm. David Cornsweat, who, of course, did get cast as Superman, Nicholas Holt, and then some other guy, I forget. But I was like, I hope they keep Nicholas Holt and move him into the Lex Luthor role because we know he can hit up that villainous sort of side. Yeah. And I think it is like knowing the character of Lex Luthor, it is funny that somebody that tried to be Superman <laughs> is now playing Lex Luthor. Like that is kind of the perfect casting, honestly. It is um, and then they, they casted other people as well. Um, Skylar Gisondo. Oh, really? That's how you say his name. He is cast as Jimmy Olsen, which is another like stroke of brilliance in terms of casting. So I'm looking forward to it the more I hear of these casting choices. Yeah, um, I think it'll be Building fun. up some hope. All right, now let's do our box office breakdown for November 17th to the 19th. In first place was Hunger Games Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes with $44 million. The Trolls Band Together, also with a big debut, $30 million. Thanksgiving, which is actually a horror movie, with $10.3 million. And all of those new debuts beat out The Marvels in its second weekend, Ten point one million, Dylan. You weren't here on the show when we were able to report its debut, mm-hmm. but I'm yeah. sure you know now that it was the lowest opening in MCU yep. history. Terrible. And now it claims another record, a seventy-eight point one percent drop, making it the biggest drop of any superhero film ever. Like not even just in the MCU, not even in the modern age of like okay, TCEU and the Marvels. Now we're going back to Steel, Shaquille O'Neal's Steel, which had a seventy-eight percent drop. It has been dethroned as the biggest drop ever for a superhero film. Insane. That is craziness. True it's been craziness. terrible. I never thought we would have seen this. Absolutely terrible. After the Marvels was Five Nights at Freddy's with $3.5 million. Taylor Swift, The Eras Tour, $2.7 million. The Holdovers, $2.6 million. Taika Waititi's Next Goal Wins, $2.5 million. Priscilla, $2.3 million. And running at the top 10, Killers of the Flower Moon with 1.9 million. And now we have some box office predictions for this Thanksgiving weekend. Coming out in the, in this, what am I saying? Coming out this weekend is Disney's Wish and Ridley Scott's Napoleon. Any thoughts, Ryan? Any thoughts on where these are going to place? So yeah, it's, they're opening for the Thanksgiving thing. So it's going to be like the five day openings is what, people will look at mostly um, and I'm hoping Wish will be able to get over 50 million and Napoleon will be able to get over 35 million mm-hmm. I think that'd be good for the the five day again keeping into account all of that so yeah again Wish is the final selection that I have in my draft the yeah. replacement that I picked and so it needs to do well I hope it bombs no, hopefully it uh, <laughs> soars to the greatest heights imaginable, takes oh, down God. Frozen as the biggest original Disney it animation won't. film. It won't do it. It will not. But it will not. I, I don't know. I will reign supreme for, for the first time in three years. I've finally done it. Yeah, unless, again, there truly are some wishing stars coming by that we can uh, take advantage of. I think it might be a done deal. But we will that's, see. That's wishful thinking. <laughs> it is. I'll be doing a lot of it. In the next few weeks, as we report on that film's growth. Yep. Now we can talk about 
my flick picks. Now, the last time we did flick picks, it was your flick picks, and you picked uh, what was it? It was Stay and uh, what was the other one called? Predestination. And I was not a fan of either of those movies. So, Mm -hmm. in return, uh, there were there were little a couple of factors that factored into what I was going to give you. It was that, and it was you wanted my Criterion Channel login. So I gave you that, and I was like, oh, I'll pick two movies off of the Criterion channel that you can watch as a celebration of the fact that I'm giving you my login. And uh, I had just recently rewatched uh, Playtime. It was my second time watching it at the time. I was like, oh, he would like this. Uh, he, he's going to like this. It'll be a better movie than the ones he picked, and it's on the Criterion channel. And then a little bit after that, I watched The Red Balloon, which is a, a French short film. And I was like, I don't want to give him a feature film and a short film and have that be the only thing we're talking about. So maybe I can get away with two features and a short. And since the two I've picked so far have been French films, I want to find a third French film from this era on Criterion Channel that could fit into it. And I, so I watched uh, La Piscine, The Swimming Pool. And I was, I was watching it and I was like, oh, I might pick this. And then I, I watched the whole thing and I was like, hmm, it was good, but it wasn't like... It wasn't like big enough to where I wanted to like really talk about it that bad on the show. Like I liked it, but I didn't love it. It did have like some twists in there that I thought were interesting, and Elaine Delon is really cool in it. But I want to talk about something something bigger, something cooler. And then I remembered the Umbrellas of Cherbourg is also on Criterion Channel, so I rewatched that and I was like, that's that's the one I'm gonna I'm gonna go with. So let's let's start with the Umbrellas of Cherbourg, and then do the Red Balloon and get into playtime. Ryan, what did you know about the Umbrellas of Cherbourg before watching it? Of course, I knew the massive inspiration it had on La La Land, mm-hmm. one of my favorite films of all time. So Damon Chazelle often cited that as a huge inspiration for it, and not just in terms of you know it being a musical and the color palette, but the story itself. That was not what I had expected was one of the major inspirations for La La Land, but mm-hmm. it goes on the same sort of arc of that doomed romance and them having a final sort of conversation and reunion in the end before parting ways and living out their lives so i thought that was quite fascinating uh and then i believe also i think uh critic erwig cited that as well for barbie for a lot of the Mm -hmm. you know barbie land and musical numbers she cited this film so yeah definitely very influential very important so yeah i knew about it before heading into it and have you heard the music before at all? I have not. You had to have. It's all wait for you. It's such a famous song. It's entirely possible I could have heard it. You ever watch where it would like stick in my mind and I'd be like, oh, that's. Did you ever watch Futurama? Um, not the full thing. I mean, like bits and pieces whenever it was on. This is a very famous episode. With uh, Fry's dog in the end of it, the end, they play that song. And so that's how I know the music is from that and <laughs> a couple of other references throughout movies and, and television. And so when I went to watch the movie, I went, oh, this is what, but like everywhere you hear it elsewhere, it's the American version. I don't remember who sings it, but they they made the lyrics English and they sing it that way. And so I didn't know, I thought that was, well, it was I thought it was just a song that, an American had written. And then I, I went and I watched the movie and I was like, oh, it's from Umbrellas of Cherbourg. It won an Oscar for the song because it was so good. It's such a good song. Nice. Such good music. What were your initial impressions going into it, watching it? 
You watched it this morning, right? Yes, I did. So very fresh. A couple hours ago, I pulled a, a U and yeah, watched it shortly before our Classic. recording. Classic. Um, yeah, I thought it was delightful. It's just a, a very pleasant musical. They sing through the entire thing. Mm-hmm. I, I was surprised by that as well. They don't take any any breaks. It's like a couple in between scene transitions where the music will drop out and we get like maybe a reaction shot of one person or like an establishing shot of the next. But for the most part, score is kicking the whole time and any word is sung. So that was a, a fascinating approach to it. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, modern musicals, yeah, don't go that way. But the classic ones did tend to do that much more. So it was nice to sort of step back into that realm. And then visually, I mean... It's fascinating, all these, I mean, this one isn't in Paris, but they're all French. And so the different uh, sort of ways that they depict their city is fascinating. This one, of course, because it is a musical, is leaning far more into it being this colorful, vibrant, joyous place, you know, capturing the young love that our two main characters are experiencing. So on that front, I mean, yeah, just always a visual treat, pure eye candy. So... That was lovely. And with the story itself, I think, yeah, they they captured that well. You feel it early on when they're singing to each other. Um, And then they're separated. It's split into four parts. Uh, And so, yeah, they're together for that first part and then sort of split up in the Mm -hmm. two. And then that final one, um, we see them come back together. But again, not the joyous reunion that uh yeah. either of them were hoping to have earlier when they were initially separated so mm-hmm. i think it it captures that spirit pretty well i will say that's a really hardcore move to she gets pregnant yeah and then goes off and marries somebody else before he comes back from the war and then we stop writing tries to i know but at a certain point you're like, oh, well, maybe I'll check in and see if he, he gets back so that he can meet his child. But no, they just straight up, he never reached out. I mean, I guess he was like, oh, where'd they go? And then he didn't know where exactly they went. So he didn't try and reach out as much as he maybe should have to find his daughter. She didn't write back to him, see if he was A, alive, or B, interested in meeting his daughter. That's some wild stuff. Yeah. Believe that. Hardcore. Um, France in the 60s, man. <laughs> it really is. I mean... Rough stuff. So yeah, I think that added a... I know that's a complicated layer on top of their doomed love story that, I don't know, did not make me enjoy it as much when they were like having that tragedy of coming back together because I'm like, straight up, there's a whole nother factor at play which should have been considered and neither of them really were, I don't think. So... That was tough, but I do love when they are brought back together. They're each already just so well established in their lives that it's not Mm -hmm. even that like tragic with La La Land's the direction that went in. I think you know the relationship was obviously built up far more, um, and it's only in that like last little portion that they're separated. We just get that time skip, and they're uh, they're gone. They're established in their own lives, and then they cross paths, and then have that fantasy of what could have been yeah this is more about their either of them yeah here wanted to reminisce about what could have been i mean they were just like wow the pain was there yeah the uh yeah the bitterness was there 
And it was like, you know, best of luck to you, but I'm happy with where I am now and where things mm-hmm. are. So I thought that was a fascinating approach too. Um, Cause yeah, we see him and Madeline and then their child mm-hmm. come back and he's celebrating with them. So it was a fascinating departure from, you know, how La La Land approached the same sort of theme of this doomed romance. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I think it was, it's definitely a lot more bittersweet in La La Land because you were rooting for them much more. Whereas this yeah. one, like the moment, like when she gets married, again, she's not like happy about it. She's not really enthused, but it's sort of a measure of practicality and a measure of like, oh, I thought like she was young and really thought like this was the end all be all. But yeah, time, his absence, him not writing back as much sort of made that those rose colored glasses fade away a bit. Um, yeah. And so she's more open to going that other route, even though, again, she's not like thrilled, you know, hopping and dancing out of the the chapel when they get married. But she yeah. did still go through that decision. Um, and so at that point, I was like, yeah, I don't know how you come back from this if she's going to go off, marry someone else, and then mm-hmm. have a kid and then not like, you know. Not contact know, you at all. Rekindle that, yeah, with, with the guy. And so then when we get his perspective coming back and everything's like, upended in his life he's so bitter and he's yeah and then him and madeline they start their thing she like helps him out and he's wanting to propose to her essentially Mm -hmm. i'm like now i really don't know how they come back from this so i'm like yeah they're and that's the way it should be like there was no part of me that's like oh i wish they could resolve this like once it had gotten past that second part i was like yeah they need to stay away but it's Um, like that heartbreaking thing that's like past lives where it's like you never imagine them being together, but it is the idea in the head in your head that's like, if only they could have, you know. Yeah, under different. They wanted to so bad. Under, yeah, yeah, it just, yeah, yeah, it worked out. Yeah, but it's that idea of like, you know, it just didn't work out, and there's no way to go back from it, and that is sad. Whereas La La Land, even though like they have their own separate lives and stuff, you're still rooting for them, and even in your head, you're like, they still could if they really, really wanted to. But I mean, they're not going to. But in this one, it's like, nah, they, nah. They, they've gone their separate ways completely and they are bitter at the end because of it, which is kind of sad, but they're happy in their own lives, which is nice. Yeah. But again, still crazy. Like that's his child in that car, which also crazy. He's like, you want to come inside to warm up? And then the little girl's just left in the car. That is funny. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she asked, he's like, oh, you want to uh, meet her? And he's like, no. And I mean, I can get it, I guess, from his point of view of like, wow, for years, she's been kept away from me. And she probably knows, yeah, someone else has her father. I doubt they would have told the kid that like, oh, by the way, this isn't actually your real dad. So that would probably yeah. cause complications for the girl as well. And it's probably too difficult for him. But still, it's like, wow, they're going to go through their whole lives knowing they had a child together, but they're just going to never interact yeah. Never cross paths again. That is, yeah, a very that they have their own lives now. Unfortunate ending. Very um, sad. Yeah, it's sad that the song, the main song, is called "I Will Wait for You." That's very sad. They because, because they yeah. don't. That train shot of him oh, like leaving on the train. So good, beautiful. And the music swelling, dude. The shots at the end of the gas station in the snow, and the music is going full blast. Every time I watch this movie, I think. You know how they do those, um, the the live performances of music with the movies. Mm-hmm. This would be such a banger to watch with that. 
it was so good. It's only an hour and a half, and the music is incredible. I would love to go. And you have like they have like uh, singers out there singing the parts. It was so cool. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that I thought was really interesting was the mother role in this mm-hmm. one, where other films I think would have leaned into her being much more of this like manipulative monster that's trying to for her own financial interest try and get mm-hmm. her daughter to hook up with this the rich suitor that's coming in and she does want that and she is in minor ways like pushing that but it's never entirely forceful like she even when he does it initially after their dinner she's like oh like we don't really know you and she's like dealing with this other stuff and then she goes into the room next door and immediately mm-hmm. tells her and it's like yeah like this is something we're dealing with and it could be good but i know that you're like not in any place right now to jump into that um so i thought they had a really nuanced portrayal of the mother character that yeah and they have a good relationship too like they you know they bicker sometimes and she's like oh stop going out or you know you're caught up in this young love you know what you're talking about you can't get married yet but most of the time i mean she is supportive of the daughter they're like interacting a lot within that shop um Mm -hmm. and she's never over intensely callous or rude or mean to her so i just that was a nice um approach a good way to have some conflict there that felt like natural and real Mm -hmm. what mother daughter would be um experiencing but never to the point where she's just an outright villain and like despicable and all this so Mm -hmm. i thought that was a nice layer that they added to yeah are there any negatives you have for the film? Um, other than just that like central component of the the daughter getting just, I don't know, just not enough, I feel like, attention paid to that. Um, the guy, I felt like, I don't know, we needed to know more about him. <laughs> like, we didn't need to know anything. Like, he just comes in and is immediately like, yeah, I want to... Uh, Ask your daughter's hand in marriage. Oh, which, I mean, Casale. maybe that's how things were back in I don't know, sixties France, fifties France. But I mean, they literally did fits, not know each other. I think other it fits into all. like the musical. Yeah, I think it fits into like the musical sensibilities of it. Of it's like you know, this is a very light and airy musical with all these pastel colors. So they have all these very front-facing emotions and goals, and they're very much like toward about their intentions. Kind of like a kind of like a Disney movie in a way, so I I mm-hmm. think it fits the vibe. Yeah. It's a very I short mean, movie; it's an hour and a half. It's a very very simple story, for sure. So yeah, in that way, it does make it like nice and light and airy, as you were saying. But yeah, I just would have liked a bit more to that, like just exploring that because I feel like with Madeline, they did enough of that, like her genuine caring for his grandmother or his aunt at least whoever that was um that was like bedridden the whole time and then when he when she calls him out of being like yeah you've changed you're this bitter sorry person now i don't really want to be around you i don't know if i can help you and he's like oh i actually do need you and she's like okay i'll stick around with you i feel like there was enough built in there and enough implied in their like history Mm -hmm. that i was like okay i can see how this pairing is going to work. But with the other guy, the rich suitor, we don't get him at all after, you know, the second part when they get married. And then before that, it's just, I don't know, wasn't 
as much there. I just would like more to see their relationship develop and have it be more of a, okay, maybe she is finding something about him that guy didn't offer or no longer can offer, you know, in his absence that she's able to see something worthwhile in pursuing a relationship with him rather than it just being like, oh, kind of the easy thing to do and what can be beneficial practically with their financial situation. I would like that, you know, to fall in line with, as you were saying, like the pastel colors and the musical sensibilities of it, where it's like passion is very forefront. I would have liked to have seen that from those two characters a bit more. But I think that's the point is that they're not supposed to be passionate because this is a choice that she makes for the, for her child and for her mother and for her family. It's not a choice she makes for herself. Like it's not the passionate choice. It's the, it's the sensible choice. Mm-hmm. Directly against passion. You can see right. it in her face. You know, she's not happy to be getting married to him. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I'm just saying anything about him at all separately. All right, buddy. Now would have been uh, a nice little touch. Yep. Out of out of five umbrellas, how would you rate this movie? I'll give it four umbrellas out of five. I give it five full umbrellas out of five. It's just so colorful. It's just so much fun. And so short. Just quick. You just pump it out. Watch the movie. Boom. Done. Colorful. Bright colors. Love it. Now let's talk about the red balloon. This is a this is a short film I came across because I was doing like Oscar I don't know, I was looking at Oscar trivia and I, I saw that this is the only short film that won the award for best writing, best screenplay. And I was like, what the fuck? I didn't even know they could get nominated. This is crazy. Because nowadays it's best feature film, best original screenplay for a feature film. Like they specifically exclude short films. So it's not even possible nowadays. But I guess back then you could make a short film and if the script was good enough, you could win. And it won the award. And I watched it and I was like, there's almost no dialogue or anything. It's just a really solid story. It's so it's like a Pixar film. It's like it's like you're watching the it's better than the first 10 minutes of Up, which I stand by. <laughs> This, this movie is so cute and it's so well made and it makes me care so much about a little red balloon, which I didn't think I, I could. It's, it's like, it's, it's almost like it's animated. Like the way that they've, they've created this cartoon balloon to follow the boy around. It's almost like an animated little film. Did you know anything about this movie before watching it, before I suggested it? Uh, no, knew it was French, knew it had a red balloon. And then they showed on the like beginning of it, which by the way, it's kind of funny. Umbrellas of Chabot and uh, Red Balloon, I both watched on HBO Max instead of Criterion, just because uh, I saw that they were both on there. And so I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll just bang them out real quick you here. bastard. I did watch Playtime on Criterion, so there you go. But bastard. I think it is hilarious. Dude, HBO Max has some great selections. Again, it's just a shame that, you know, Discovery has made it terrible, but it's got a lot of classics in there. So seeing, which I'm sure is on the Criterion one as well, um, but like the opening title cards, it showed the awards it won. It won it like can. And then I mm-hmm. saw it had gotten the Oscar and I was like, what the heck? So that was something I was introduced to as I was just about to sit in and watch it. Mm-hmm. But I will say I felt that same deal. Like it has the uh, silent film sensibilities, kind of like playtime, which we'll talk about. Um, but it's, yeah, not dialogue driven at all. Just more of you watching character go about their day and all these visual components, visual gags, 
and then it did also feel like a uh, a Disney short. I was like, it's like this in playtime. I'm like, these are movies that would not get made today unless they were like an animated short um, or a Pixar short. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that is interesting that this old silent film type, you know, just very easy, quick to understand, accessible premises with a bunch of visual gags. They have shifted away into being just animated shorts rather than yeah, which is sad. Minute short films. So yeah, sad. I miss the days of Mr. Bean, the last great, last great <laughs> visual gag artist. Mm-hmm. So sad. But no, I love I love the Red Balloon. I thought it was just so cute. It's so short, and it's just such a good story. And the way they they go about it with with giving such a personality to that Red Balloon of them playing hide and seek. And chasing each other in the balloon, hiding and waiting for the boy to come back, and then coming back when the boy's there, hiding from the headmaster, hiding from the mother, you know, just trying like like they made the balloon a real friend for the little boy, which, which you know, it was nice. And then all the other little boys try and come and steal the balloon, and I was mad. How could they do that to him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that uh, I think it really came alive during those chase sequences yeah. where. You could see he was getting like clever with it. At one point, he's going up the staircase and he's like sort of boxed in. Then he just mm-hmm. lets the balloon go, rushes past him, and is able to catch the balloon again. He was yeah. able to do that a couple of times. But then there was, there's one shot where he's coming up over the hill, and mm-hmm. we just see the sky. We can't like see obviously what's downhill from that. <laughs> we yeah. just hear all the yelling of the boys as they rush up there, and he's like fully yeah. trapped now. That That's was a good a shot. Great, yeah. Yeah, it's solid. And then they throw rocks at the balloon, and oh my god, dude, the the long shot of the balloon just slowly letting that its air out and crinkling. I, was, and I knew falling to the ground, and then the b- I mean, boy just steps on it. Oh my god, dude, cruel. Yeah, that's brutal. I mean, you knew from the jump. I was like, this balloon is gonna die at some point, but how's it gonna get popped? But I did not expect the slow yeah. deflating of the balloon, and then yeah, just I don't the most know what, devastating way. What it was that they did, but there's like that texture on the outside of the balloon. Um, it's insane. Like looking like very wrinkled as it was falling into itself. So I don't know how they achieved that, but it was surprisingly effective. Like it was a genuine, like top 10 saddest anime deaths was that balloon. Yeah. Slowly deflating, falling to the ground. Terrible. But then you get the sequence with all the other balloons in, in Paris floating away and, and heading the boy. How amazing is that? Like visually it's stunning. It is. It is great. Yeah, I think it does because uh, balloons—they're awesome. And every every balloons kid awesome. loves balloons, and you love like playing with them. Like that was always definitely one of the favorite things. Come back from a birthday party or whatever, and just keeping the balloon for a little bit yeah. um, and playing around with it. So the fact that all of the balloons just gain sentience and go to save that boy—I thought they were coming to mess those kids up. You think the balloons are going to fuck up a bunch of Parisian They're kids? Just like, you just see them getting beat up, smacked around by the balloons. I thought that would have been pretty funny. But yeah, you just see them all pouring out of these windows and out of doors and all this, floating over the sky. And yeah, it was beautiful. Definitely very visually stunning. Yeah. And then they straight up, I mean, DreamWorks up. All of them got to pay respect to that final shot. Of yeah, the balloon. for sure. They, they pick them up. Out of there. How do you think they did that? You think it was just a dummy? 
It had to be. I don't know. I was thinking of that. There's no way that because it looked like the, an actual kid didn't look like a stunt double, and there's no way they would have put a stunt double on there either because he wasn't there. He was not like tied to like a crane or anything. They just let it go. Like he was fully on balloons that were just flying off. It had to have just been a dummy that they just let out and were like, "Fuck it, let it go. We'll film it, and then it'll just disappear to the sky." It had yeah. to have been what it was because it's, it's just so I don't still know. too. It's probably because I'm like getting closer and closer to the portion of making my own film. And so like insurance stuff is a thing. Again, we're not allowed to do like anything, like yeah. any falls or runs or anything. So Can't very much run. limited, but I, no. But so when I was watching things like him climbing up the light post in the beginning to retrieve the balloon, anytime he was running and it would like jump onto the steps and stuff like that, I could feel myself being like, oh my God, like this would be just like a production nightmare. What if they get fell? What if he slipped? Yeah, scraped his knee or all. And this. you know that you know that 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 little boy is the he's the son of the director. So you know that they just showed up on set and he was like, "All right, son, <laughs> climb that pole. You're gonna, right. you're gonna climb the pole. You're gonna grab the balloon. You're gonna slide down. Don't get hurt." <laughs> but I was thinking of that. I was like, "Yeah, this is definitely those days where they were just like, yeah, let's get a kid and have him just do stuff." Which again, it's like those are the days, man. Kids will do that and they'll be yeah. fine. But when you start saying. like filming it and making it part of a whole thing, then it just I know it introduces so much more potential risk of like well would that kid have been doing that in that spot if it wasn't getting filmed even though that kid does that same thing like every single day so same deal with like again all the insurance stuff i'll have to deal with of cars can't be moving at all no running no fights no chasings no falls anything like that which again it's like you do this stuff on the daily anyway but once you get a camera on there now it's your responsibility to make sure nothing bad happens so i was in the producer mindset watching it being like oh my god please don't fall kid please don't uh like can we get can we just cut away to him getting that balloon later on but it obviously is from a different time and it helps out the authenticity much more because it does feel like we're just watching some kid go about his day being very natural um, doing all the things that a kid would do so in that yeah, respect man, go big or go home yeah it felt natural and then however they achieved that shot at the end probably yeah with the dummy it was fantastic absolutely how many balloons out of five would you rate this movie i'll give it a 3.5 balloons out of five 3.5 it's so much <laughs> lower than i thought it would be what were the negatives I mean, it's, as you said, it's a cute film, but I was not as attached to the balloon or the balloon's relationship with the boy as you were, apparently. Um, again, it had, it had cute moments. I thought the ending was very fun. You have no but, inner child in you. I mean, I do. I just said I love balloons. It, like, rekindled that thing, but it was a lot. It was 30 minutes, and it did not need to be, I feel like, 30 minutes for a lot of the... Uh, Stuff we got in the beginning. I feel like like we got it. The balloon can do its own thing. People don't like the balloon being around him. He's trying to play with the balloon. I feel like it did not need to be that long. I think, I think connecting with the innocence of a child who has found this object and like created a weight to the object that an adult wouldn't. Like an adult would not value a balloon as a friend, but like a child would. And he gives weight to that relationship. I think the the innocence of that is what drives the film. And I think seeing the balloon in different situations 
acting as a friend in response to the the child's you know weight of that relationship i think that's what seals it for me as being something that's just so endearing yeah it's just nice and i agree she's very nice it's and then all the balloons in paris come together to lift him up because he's the chosen one the one who likes balloons I give it a five out of five balloons. Full five out of five. Now, finally, Playtime by Jacques Tati. This is the one I want you to watch more than any of the other ones. This is one of my favorite movies now. I've seen it three times this year already. I really, really like this movie. And I think there's just so much to it. And there's so much to like about it that I wanted to share with you. And it was the basis of what this whole flick picks ended up being. What did you know about Jacques Tati and Playtime going into the movie? Not much. I just knew of its reputation as a French film from Jacques Tati that people enjoyed. Uh, Alessandro, who's been on the show before, he very much enjoys it. So I always knew it was something that I'd get around to watching just because it has that sort of reputation to it. Um, But I did not know of the specific plot, of the approach to it, anything like that before watching it. Yeah. Well, in terms of visual gags, I don't think you could do much better than this movie. I think there's just so much going on in every scene. There's just so much to be watching out for that every time I rewatch it, I see something new or I encounter something more interesting. And it's visually stunning and there's just so much to see. So what were, what were, what were some of your favorite parts of the movie, Ryan? So once again, it has that like silent film sensibility to it. Not a lot of dialogue in this at all. Mm-hmm. And what little dialogue there is, I mean, most, most of it isn't that uh, integral or essential so it's leaning on, again, just as visual gags, seeing a character move through a space, getting up to some shenanigans, and that being amusing for the audience. So it was it was fascinating to see that. And of course, so I watched that first um, and then watched the rest of these. And so it was interesting to see the, uh, the connections among them in relying a lot on their visual aspects as compared to dialogue. Of course... The Umbrellas of Sherbeau did have dialogue, but it was sung, so it was like a different approach. All these sort of took an untraditional approach to the way that characters would communicate with each other or display information to the audience. So I thought that was fun, again, because it's not something we get to see a lot of. And this film is amazing in terms of its production design, the way that it does Mm -hmm. do sort of the opposite of The Umbrellas of Sherbeau, where... It goes for an intensely gray color palette, like very muted, very neutral until the very end um, after, you know, they've had their playtime, so to speak. And then it all is flooded with color, the Paris streets. But throughout the rest of the film, it is very much not uh, very colorful or striking in its hues. So that was a very uh, compelling way that they went about that. It was also striking how every single shot was a wide shot. Like there's not one close up in mm-hmm. this entire thing. I yep. was looking after a while, but yeah, they just leaned into having it be this theatrical staging in these wide shots where as you were sort of pointing out, there's so much going on on all the various different potential 
corners of the screen. And so, yeah, when they have it in wide, you get to see all those different elements, all those characters in there, and you really have mm-hmm. to pick and choose what you're going to follow yeah. along with. Um, and so that was a pretty fascinating approach to it as well. Everything's um, just so particular. Like, I love the scene where he's sitting in the waiting room and he's waiting to get called in for whatever it is he's doing. And the guy's sitting across from him and, like, the choreography of him, like, tapping his, like, dusting off his leg and then brushing off his coat and then pulling out his cigarette and then lighting the cigarette and then putting the cigarette away then opening the packet and putting the packet away then recrossing his legs and patting his leg again. Like, it's just so particular and rehearsed. Everything in this movie is it's just fantastic. Even from the get-go when you're in the airport and you're seeing like the characters go about, there's no bits going on. There's no nothing to laugh at, but just watching all of those characters move in such a deliberate way is is absolutely fantastic. I love the janitor who comes in, he's looking for garbage, but there's nothing there because everything is pristine, so he just has nothing to do with his job. He's just looking at the ground and then he just walks away. I love the the woman who's who looks like she's carrying a baby and then it cuts to the other side, the reverse shot, and she just has paper towels and she's putting paper towels in the bathrooms. I love just the way everything is just so intricately like it, it like the opening sequence to me is like there's not a lot of humor in the gags that they do, but it's it's telling you that for the rest of this movie you need to look very carefully. It's it's preparing you that the rest of this movie, the gags are going to be very, very small and you have to pay very close attention to get them. Otherwise, it's going to go right over your head. Like you have to be very, very particular in how you watch the film. Cause because because there's nothing there in the beginning, you're looking so close to see something, something that'll make you laugh. And it's not really there. And it trains you to look close because there's so many specific little things that you have to look at that that add to the humor of the whole movie and then on top of that it has the the themes of like modernity modern paris what that is doing to travel to culture and everything uh everything to do with the uh what is her name bethany the the female character the american tourist who's going around she's trying to take pictures of real paris she's trying to take pictures of like just the citizens in front of flower shops instead of the big concrete buildings that are all around her and then every time she opens a door and the reflection is is a uh, like an image of what Paris is, like, like a monument or something. Yeah, in the reflection. I love that. And then I love when she leaves one of the buildings and her friend's like, look, it's the Pont d'Alexander. And it's it's like it's this big, huge, wide shot of a giant concrete building and in the very bottom left corner. Very tiny is one very tiny shot of the pillar of one of the pillars of the Pont d'Alexander bridge, like very small about like how modernity is now taking over every aspect of the image. Like it's just so particular and so smart and so like ingenuitive. And at the same time is so, so funny for so much. Like Jacques Tati's performance is just incredible. He's just bouncing around and his physicality is great. The little, the fake hulos that are throughout the movie that trick people into thinking that he's there, but he's not. Those are great. I mean, it's just, it's just so clever through and through. I love this movie. Very clearly. I mean, yeah, you watched it three times. The first time was this year that you had yeah, watched it? I watched it in June or July or something. And then I watched it again a month ago uh, at work because I was bored and I had nothing else to do. And I was like, if I'm going to put a movie on, you know, work computer, it should be a 
movie that's safe for work and this is the most safe for work movie that there is you know it's just like visual gags and like little bits and stuff a lot of the criterion channel is classic movies so it's mostly appropriate for work so i put this on and i was watching it again and i was like this would be a good movie for ryan to watch for the flick picks and then i watched it again yesterday in preparation for the episode today so i've seen it three times this year i just think it gets so much better every time i watch it i love the 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 shots of he's visiting his friend's apartment and then the other, the guy who's supposed to meet apartments right next door. And then the way they shoot, it looks like they're looking at each other, but there's a wall there. And so there's the bit where uh, Hulo like bends over for a second and like puts his butt to the wall. And then the family who's watching TV and the other, <laughs> other side go, Whoa. And they like back up. It's just so, it's just such little things that are clever. I just think it's so funny. Yeah. I thought that was one of those compositions that were really, really well done like all of it is so meticulously orchestrated and staged because it needs to be because again all of it's having in wide and so much of it is an extended take so that one for instance was one where yeah it all needed to just play out at the right time and so i was looking at that a lot too of like the lighting gags that they would do Mm -hmm. um there's one with the vacuum that had the lights on it oh yeah that stuff there's a lot of those where yeah, the lighting would come into play. And so I was watching that because that has to be all timed out as well. Um, and the character movements, of course. Yeah. So stuff like that, I was very taken by. Like that was a striking image. The camera being on the outside. We're seeing like people come by in the street and cars pass by too. And then mm-hmm. we're just watching yeah, Hulo. And then the guy's supposed to meet on opposite sides of the wall. Just watching a TV. It was, yeah, those ideas are very fascinating how that, came about yeah. came to Jacques Tati's head so yeah there's I love a lot the of- I love the bit where the guy he's supposed to meet is in one cubicle all the way across the room and there's an American guy in a cubicle yeah. closer <laughs> and he calls that cubicle and he's like give me the numbers for this and this and that and the guy's supposed to meet exits his cubicle walks all the way over to the American guy's cubicle gets the numbers walks all the way back to his cubicle and calls him back and gives him the number I think it's just so funny yeah that was really cool the uh when he's going through all of the cubicles and he sees the one lady that's in the middle, that's apparently like the operator or secretary or something. Yeah. And then he goes to the other side and she had turned. And so he thinks he was <laughs> in the same spot. That was really good too. Um, yeah. There's that. Some of the other like best bits that we can point out. I thought the, uh, the whole thing of like the inventions that mm-hmm. they were creating all these like ultimately worthless stuff. Although yeah. I will say, the vacuum putting lights on a vacuum is great yeah my vacuum has that it's fantastic so it's a great I don't know what idea, yeah. with that one not on the same level as well the thing is that that's not even one. a vacuum it was a broom yeah. it was a broom with oh, lights. It was a broom. yeah it's great. not even a vacuum it literally just the only electric part of it is the lights and you just sweep that is pretty funny although still probably handy but at that point yeah, yeah again the these are all inventions that are the, that are yeah. handy somewhat like the the lady who has the glasses that you could put up Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then do your makeup and then put this, the glass back down. It's and like, it, it's it's useful, but just like barely, barely useful. Yeah. Like it saves you potentially a second. Yeah. Um, the so, the doors is the funniest one though. The, the yeah, silent was, doors is, is genius. When he slammed it so hard oh and you see it wiggling, <laughs> but there was no sound. That was pretty good. It's one of the best. That's probably the one that I laughed. Uh, the most see it's that's so the thing funny. with this one is i'm gonna break your heart a bit um i find a lot of this amusing but never really that laugh out loud funny oh not in quick enough succession where it's like back to back to back where 
uh, it keeps me engaged the whole time. There are a lot of portions where it's like we're just waiting and waiting and setting up for the next one to come out or where there's so much going on like in the restaurant thing where there may be some things hidden in there. You should watch it more, but I'm not seeing that since I'm looking at something else. And so that's maybe why so good. The rewatches as you're saying would be good, but I did really like that restaurant sequence, but my issue, the other major issue I have with it is the lack of character in it. What? There's not much to latch onto. They give some elements of personality. We know Hulo is this dopey, clumsy little guy. We know that the uh, tourist, which I did like about her of wanting to find genuine elements of France. But beyond that, there's nothing to them. They had a little thing where they sort of are like crossing paths a bit and there's something there. But I mean, that doesn't go anywhere really. Um, And so, and then with the restaurant as well, we get to, we can empathize with them dealing with the situation of, all these people coming into the restaurant is not fully prepared for service yet. And so, yeah, the hijinks that they get up to there were like somewhat able to understand their predicament, but I'm not caring about any of the situations. It's just wackiness, which can be amusing. And it's the best. But it's not, I feel like, again, the wackiness, a lot of it is very clever, but I feel like too much of it is spaced too far out no. um, for it to be constantly hitting. And none of them, they're all like blow air out of your nose gags. They're not like laugh out loud gags. So that was the other issue I had is I wanted a bit more meat on the bones of the characters so that in those in-between parts when we aren't getting the gags or we're setting up for the gags, I'm more engaged and more plugged into it as it was now on a first viewing. It, uh, it was I think you need to watch it more because I think I think for me the choreography like the the rehearsed choreography of everything and the particularness of everything is so engaging to me that is so entertaining to watch and there's just so many little things that crack me up the measuring the fish because it doesn't fit through the window and then like trying to debate how to get the fish through the window because the window is not wide enough and then the waiter takes the fish and he takes it to the mirror instead of looking at the fish he's fixing his hair and then he gives it to the other waiter and the waiter looks at the fish for a second then he looks at his hair next the the little tile that keeps popping off and so every time the one guy steps over that dance floor he steps over that one tile and then the people behind him walking also do it because he did it uh it's so good the light's not working on the stairs people keep tripping the the guy outside who's constantly being given worse and worse pieces of clothing because everybody keeps tearing their clothes so he's just progressively having just like a worse outfit throughout the night the the bartender who has to move his head around the the uh poles every single time he needs to get a drink or like the pole that's in the center of the restaurant right in the walkway that people have to walk around to get in the the chairs leaving marks on the backs of everybody because they're just so like solid iron that was the, really funny. the fish that they leave at the, the restaurant that they never eat it's just constantly being seasoned and warmed and then just gets seasoned and warmed again and then gets lit on fire and then warmed again it just never gets eaten it's just so good it's so the the waiter who checks his hair is given a lobster and he's walking around. And he's not delivering it. He's just fixing his hair and like looking at everybody. It's just so good. It's so good. I think it is a great comedy sketch. It is great, Ryan. Come on. It is. It doesn't need to be character. Yes, it is a great movie. It is a fantastic movie. It's a great series of yeah comedy sketches. 
No, they do well in them, but it is not uh, for me at least to not work. It is a phenomenal movie because it it commits so hard to the gag of of doing things on such an incremental scale and watching them build up as you pile on and on with them. It does that so well that and it commits so hard to that one idea and it does it perfectly. It does it perfectly. It's so funny. The commitment. The commitment is what gets me. It's the same thing as Nathan Fielder. Just the commitment to the bit is what mm-hmm. gets me and what makes me love it so much. And and just there are hints of like commentary on modern Paris and like what that is turning into and what what we are supposed to do and react to that sort of environment where people go and they visit places and you see the tourism posters and it's all just the same building but in different locations that they're visiting or like the lack of monuments the lack of like people who are the the she goes to take a picture of the the lady in paris and there's boys that are french boys standing in the background but they're dressed like americans and so she has to have them move out of the way because it's not authentic like the the lack of authenticity to paris because it's becoming more modern that whole idea is just so present in the first half and then they get their playtime they get their fun where they go to the restaurant they go crazy and when she steps out paris is like this magic land full of color and wonder and and such fun people and fun gags it's just so it's delightful it is delightful ryan and then and then hulo hulo buys her uh a little headscarf and it has all the french monuments on it and it's so cute it is and then he can't get through the turnstile and so he goes around the turnstile and he walks through the candy but it's also acts like a turnstile and the guy makes him walk back through the candy Come on. It's just so such little things, such little visual things that build up and it's just so clever. It's like a like I think I wrote it in the notes. It's like a moving where's Waldo where every time you look, you can look at any corner of the screen and there's something fascinating going on in every single corner. How could you not be entertained looking throughout that entire mess just trying to find something? I'm so vastly entertained. And I'm very happy for you that you are. I'm glad that it was able to to hit on all cylinders in that respect. And I do appreciate that there is that subtle commentary running throughout the whole thing, which, yeah, from the color palette uh, is very clear. And then they do comment on these things here and there. I think that example you have cited a couple of times of her trying to take the picture. I love that because it was character focused. It had the gags in there too of like people constantly getting in the way of her shot when she's just trying to get this one woman um, by her little stand of roses. Mm-hmm. And then the American but... soldier shows up and he has her get in the picture. God, it's so funny. Yeah. So I love that. Um, I just would have liked even more of that. So that mixture of the gags with some genuine like character or commentary stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, it. I think the with the restaurant falling apart, but everyone that was there was still like happy to be there and let loose and just enjoy themselves and not care yeah. too much. Like it didn't need to be spotless. It didn't need to be pristine. It didn't need to be this perfect image of modernity. Like that was unnecessary for them to just hang out, have fun, even in the midst of the chaos. Yeah. Like I think there is something really powerful there that he's speaking about of, you know, the human spirit. But I'm just saying overall it was, um, I know, again, a lot of these visual gags, it's like comedy sketches strung together in a way that didn't have as much of the character 
holding it together as I would have liked. That was just the one issue. So again, it may be a rewatch. I get your point because yeah, there were times where it felt like I'm watching one part of the screen and maybe something else is happening on the other part of the screen. Um, and that's, I think, a bold, admirable choice that a director can do of not trying to lead the audience's eyes all the time and just allowing there to be an image and you can pick and choose which one you're going to get, uh, which portion of the frame you're going to end up. It's genius. At, it is genius. Um, so yeah, there are like a lot of things to admire, to appreciate and respect the amount of, again, rehearsal and orchestration that needs to go into all that. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. So yeah, very well made. Um, but again, just in terms of the enjoyment, you can only really speak to the experience you have as you're watching it. And for me, it was amusement every few minutes, but never like outright laughter bust in the gut and never true engagement with the characters that I was watching. Because there's a portion where like Hulot and the girl aren't even present. Like there's 20 minutes of that restaurant scene, which they are not present for. So again, it's stuff like that where I'm like, I just wanted a bit more of their specific lives. But overall, like, yeah, I can see why you enjoy it so much. So many other people enjoy it. Um, it's just, you know, one of those things like Umbrellas of Chervaux. <laughs> the, uh, it's not the right time, maybe the right circumstances for this film and myself. But you're crazy. Doesn't mean I don't wish it the best. You're crazy. Well, I accomplished my goal. I made you watch movies that you didn't end up liking that much that I thought you would, just like you did with the last flick picks. Out of out of how many uneaten and overly seasoned fish is would you rate <laughs> playtime? How many I'm silent doors it. would you slam? I would uh slam three silent doors out of five. That's insane. Lowest rated out of the three is crazy. Which is funny because I knew you loved this one the most because you Insane. swapped it, you saved it for the last. When yeah, it wasn't that way in the script? So uh, crazy. This is also yeah. a full five out of five silent doors. That's crazy yeah. to me. But hey, it was just like the last flick picks. You know, I thought you'd like them, and I guess I was wrong. Wow, maybe it's maybe we just was the wrong sometimes. time. But that's what I'm saying. You never know. Yeah, give it another shot in a couple of months. Give playtime another shot. We'll do if it ever goes to a a theater somewhere, we can go and watch it. I think that'd be a fun experience. That would be having fun. it on a big screen and being able to look. It's even it harder to watch. There. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Trying to find the Waldo in the uh, big screen. Yeah, be tough. All right, that's all the time we have. If you'd like to give your thoughts on the show, you can email us at the box office show pod at gmail.com. Our main title theme for the show is "Sundown" by Joseph McDade. If you like the show, please give us five stars whenever podcast app you're listening to, and be sure to tune in. Have a great rest of your day.